Calvin, your host, here with you as always. And in today's show, as you know, I'm coming back after a long absence with a lot of delays for the episode. I just keep having things come up and busyness to deal with, an exam after exam, and lots of other work from lots of other places. But finally, at last, I'm glad to be back on the mic. So thank you all for staying patient, waiting patiently. It's been a little over two weeks now since the last episode. I hope you enjoyed the Top 24 Dynasty Rookie Rankings episode. To make up for it, not only will I from now on, fingers crossed, be back on a somewhat regular schedule, I also have a combined episode today, and it's extra special since it's episode 200. Of course, I've got a podcast off-season schedule that I typically follow, and since we missed the best and worst fantasy values episode from last week, and we have a first half stars episode scheduled for this week, as it says in the title, we're doing both today, so it should be a longer episode. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for being here for 200 episodes of the podcast, or if you weren't here since episode one, for however many you were here for, but 200 is kind of crazy. It feels like not over three years ago that since I started doing this show, but it actually was March 3rd, 2020 was the first episode. And I remember thinking even back then how long it would last. I don't know if I had to guess. I don't know if I would have guessed it lasted this long. And I'm really glad it did because I think it's developed into more than I ever could have imagined. Had so many great guests on, met so many people in the fantasy industry, and it's not done yet. I'm still in high school and I still am going to make time for this because I love fantasy football and I love talking to you guys about it. So thank you all for tuning in. Appreciate it and appreciate all of you, the listeners, for downloading, subscribing, reviewing. That's what keeps this going. I still love looking at download numbers and seeing them go up. And I like the more downloads we get, happier I am. But I'm always happy giving fantasy advice no matter what. So either way, thank you all for tuning in. But clearly, if you're listening, you downloaded this episode in some form. So now for what you're here for, the fantasy advice. We got basically two episodes in one today. Best and worst fantasy values in half PPR. This is one of my favorite episodes of the year because it's the fir- one of the first where I actually go ahead and take stances on players. You're going to notice a dramatic shift because after the draft, I went out there and I was like, okay, let's make top 24 dynasty rookie rankings. Boom, ranked them all in order. And then best and worst fantasy values. Going to make some stances on some guys early. These stances may change as we go into the summer. But for now, I mean, I did my usual look through fantasy pros and sometimes I'm doubting. I'm like, okay, the ECR is combining all a lot of different expert rankings. Maybe are there going to be some egregious ones? Maybe there won't be. And then I noticed the first one and then I noticed more and more. There are plenty of rankings in here that are egregious, mainly for guys on the lower side. I tend to have not as many takes on the worst values until I do deeper dives later in the summer. So I only have three of those, but I have three that I think are being very overvalued in rankings right now. For the most part, I have a lot of guys that I think are underrated. And then we'll go into first half stars. And what that is, is just eight players who performed really well in the first half of the fantasy season, but didn't in the second half. To injuries or a drop off in performance. We'll discuss why. We'll discuss their outlooks for future years. Well, mainly for next year, since this is mainly a redraft oriented show. If you want Dynasty, you know where to look. All those rookie preview episodes, they might be a little irrelevant now because of the, the landing spots, but check out the Dynasty rookie rankings episode. That was a banger. I hope you guys listened to that one. Nice and short and concise, too. And I run down my rankings, give my justification based on landing spots and all of that. So let's get into it. Best and worst fantasy values. First, we're going to start with quarterback, the two best fantasy values at the moment. First, 
I love the fantasy value of Geno Smith at the QB 14. Geno Smith, of course, the starter, the Seattle Seahawks just got extended after a, really what was a fantastic year for him. And he was one of the top performing QBs last year on a team that has only added weapons in the offseason. So Smith, he was the QB five. This is a guy who was extremely consistent, had multiple games over 20 fantasy points and was ahead of guys like Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Kirk Cousins. A lot of guys who you might expect to be ahead of Geno Smith, even Justin Herbert. No, they were all behind him. But I don't know why Geno Smith's dropped so far, considering that all the Seahawks have done is added a new potentially stud running back in Zach Charbonnet in the second round out of UCLA. And in the first round, more importantly, picked up Jackson Smith and Jigba, the top wide receiver in the draft. At number 20, he fell right into their laps and they snatched it up. The Seahawks receiving core is looking scary. It was already good with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jig was only going to bolster it. There's no way Geno Smith goes anywhere but up next year, quite frankly. He should easily be a top 10 quarterback in fantasy football. I think having guys like Daniel Jones and Tua Tagovailoa and Deshaun Watson, who I like ahead of him, I don't agree with. I would probably even have him ahead of Dak Prescott and maybe even guys like Herbert and Lawrence. Geno Smith is going to be ranked very, very highly for me next year. I can see justification for him being as high as number seven in the QB rankings. He's ranked at number 14. This is an absolute steal. I know a lot of people don't do drafts right now. Maybe he'll rise up as people realize this in June, July, and August, but he just got his big extension, got a new receiver. He's going to be great next year for fantasy football. I'm so excited to watch him be a value and at QB 14, you know what? I'll take my starting QB there in drafts whenever I can. The other fantasy value I like is Sam Howell. This is a guy who is not ranked to being drafted right now, but he's the QB 31, but he's still a guy who has some rushing ability. He displayed it in the game against the Cowboys where the commanders won that one by 20. And although he didn't get to throw the ball that much in the game, when he did, he looked very, very good. He was not just one game sample size, though, that we're going off of, though. He was a projected late first round pick, potentially, that fell all the way to the fifth round. Most NFL scouts now seem to be saying this looks like a steal. And he's positioned well with the commanders. He's got a good running back in Brian Robinson Jr. He's got Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, two budding star receivers. Terry McLaurin is already a superstar in his own right. And Jahan Dotson, his year two leap is going to be excellent. I cannot wait to see it. The commanders also bolstered their offensive line in the offseason. Tight end is a weak spot for them, but overall, it's a very, very good position for Sam Howell to succeed. I think the commanders as a team are being very underrated by pundits heading into this season and training camp. And even in a stacked NFC East, I mean, maybe we'll see a lot of shootouts from Sam Howell. I think there's no doubt he overperforms a guy like Ryan Tannehill or Desmond Ritter, other guys like that, even maybe like a Kenny Pickett or a Jimmy Garoppolo ahead of him. He'll have a good chance to over outplay, and he's got the potential to be a top 12 quarterback next year. I'm not saying he's going to, but there is the potential there with that rushing upside and his, his ability to throw deep with a strong arm. Now let's go to running back. Couple of guys, a couple of old names you've heard around for a while. I don't know why Dalvin Cook's so low at the RB16. Yes, before you ask, I know Dalvin Cook might be cut on the June 1st deadline or after the June 1st deadline unless he gets a restructured contract. But first, my belief is the market for running backs is so thin right now. 
that I think Dalvin Cook does go get a restructured contract because he's going to try to get as much money as possible. Like most running backs, he won't get as much money as he likes, and he's going to return to the Vikings, in which case he would instantly jump way back into the RB1 tier very, very easily. So he's already a steal there. But even if not, he still has so much juice left in the tank. He's shown no signs of falling off. He could easily sign with another team in need of a running back and have a Leonard Fournette type of resurgence after being released. And we know how Leonard Fournette was putting up RB1 production for a good long while. Dalvin Cook should not be ranked this low, especially considering his performance last year. He's always been great year after year in fantasy. He's stayed on the field. There's no reason to doubt him. Again, he played, he actually played a full season last year, was still firmly entrenched in the RB1 tier as the RB9. He's still a guy that can put up those numbers and will get a lot of work wherever he goes. He should be drafted higher than he's ranked right now. And then the other guy is Joe Mixon at the RB22. And there's, of course, the threat of suspension for him. But another guy who he was rumored to be cut, but guys, he's not being cut. There was not no longer a cut candidate. Those rumors have been dismissed. He could get, sure, suspended for a couple of games, but it seems like it's something that's getting less and less likely to happen this year, and he is still electric. We remember that 51-point game that he had last year. He missed two games and still ended up being the RB13. He's putting up RB1 numbers for you. He has that potential to explode for big games in his in an elite Bengals offense. Outside of that game... There were some struggles for sure, some pitfalls, but he was very, very consistent. Otherwise, obviously, fantasy managers are going to want to see a little bit more big games from Joe Mixon, but RB22 is far too low for this guy who has put up top five finishes before. And then Zach Charbonnet, the RB46. I don't necessarily mind this, except when you consider that Kenneth Walker is the RB14. And I don't understand. I see that being a very, very clean split. Because Pete Carroll, we know, likes to move on from running backs quickly. He showed it with Chris Carson. He showed it with Rashad Penny, et cetera, et cetera. Kenneth Walker came in as a rookie and dominated and was really, really great. Pete Carroll has a nose for those running backs in the draft. Zach Charbonnet is, was one of the guys in that top three elite tier who could become a stud in the NFL. I understand ranking him lower than the proven Kenneth Walker, but... By the At the end of the year, I think this will be pretty even. Charbonnet, if Walker suffers an injury, could step in and be elite. The RB46 doesn't make sense for him because that's valuing him as a regular average handcuff. He's not an average handcuff. He's much better than that. He should be a lot higher than the guys ahead of him right now. Now at wide receiver. Wide receiver 27 is my first guy, Calvin Ridley, returning... I know you haven't heard that name in a while. Returning from his suspension to come back for the Jaguars. And sure, Christian Kirk has established himself as the wide receiver one in that offense, but Calvin Ridley could easily supplant him. Christian Kirk was really, really great, but Ridley is an uber talent who has been playing through a lot of injuries as well in the past. He's now completely healthy. He guaranteed 1,400 yards in his return post from gambling. And, you know, obviously players guarantee stuff all the time but it was very clear that he was playing hurt playing injured and it was affecting him in a negative way this guy is supremely talented he's ranked ahead of christian kirk on fantasy pros kirk is a wide receiver 30 which i respect but i think there's enough room for both of them to be productive in this offense they will take the vast majority of those wide receiver fantasy points and ridley probably should be at least in that wide receiver two range firmly entrenched in there my next guy yes it's Traylon burks for the Tennessee Titans. The Tennessee Titans, interesting stuff now. Of course, having acquired Will Levis in the draft, they still have Ryan Tannehill, but it's unclear what's going to happen to him. But Burks has tons of potential with this guy who was projected to be a first-round draft pick, fell out of the first round. Burks is firmly the wide receiver one, and he was just turning it up last year before we saw the injury. Traylon Burks is not going away. I'm still a truther. You better draft him wherever you can get him. He is criminally underrated right now. 
in terms of the opportunity he has, the first round draft capital that was spent on him, and now the QB upgrade that we're likely seeing. Obviously, Will Levis is boomer bust, but there's a very good chance he's better than Ryan Tannehill. And finally, this is also more about where the guys on his team are ranked, but Jackson Smith and Jigba at the wide receiver 39 is way too low with DK Metcalf at the wide receiver 15 and Tyler Lockett at the wide receiver 26. Again, like I mentioned, that guy's a first round pick. Lockett's getting up there in age. Metcalf has not been quite as productive as fantasy managers would have liked him to be. I understand making Smith and Jigba the number three out of that group, but he should not be that far behind Tyler Lockett or that far behind DK Metcalf because all three of these guys are likely going to see pretty even target share. It will probably limit all three of them from becoming top 12 wide receivers. Sure. But the floor is there for Jackson Smith and Jigbo where he's not going to be a wide receiver for next year. He's just too talented to be. He's at least going to be a wide receiver three. So you can take that guaranteed floor at wide receiver 39 any day of the week and get some flex appeal out of him. Lastly, at tight end, just one guy here. This is more of a gamble, but it's a bet on a bounce back for Cole Komet. I honestly think I honestly think Cole Komet's only going to be helped by the addition of DJ Moore to the Bears offense. It makes him no longer the top target, a guy you can rely on underneath who doesn't face much attention from defenses. I think he will really thrive in this role, could easily be top 10 tight end for the future. The worst fantasy values. The first one is Joe Burrow, and I always like to put a quarterback who's ranked highly on here because Joe Burrow is the quarterback four. And as a proponent of the late-round quarterback strategy where late-round quarterbacks who can win you fantasy weeks pop up every year late in the draft and early-round QBs will bust or perform very similarly to those guys, it's not worth it to me to take a quarterback early in single QB drafts. But this is the guy where I feel like Burrow's ranked at the QB4 and his ceiling is the QB4. We know Patrick Mahomes is as safe as they come. We know how electric Josh Allen's going to be. And Jalen Hurts coming off of an MVP season seems pretty much untouchable. I don't see Burrow finishing ahead of any of them. Behind him are elite rushing threats like Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields who could easily supplant him. Burrow could easily finish lower than the QB4. No one would be surprised. It's a ceiling pick. It's not a good pick for floor because you're picking him at his best possible finish and there's room for errors there as well. So Burrow, don't like the pick. Don't like taking QBs early in general. I will be avoiding Joe Burrow next year. At RB, this is a guy that, not a guy that I don't necessarily, this is not a guy that I necessarily hate, but I looked at the rankings and I couldn't believe Tony Pollard was RB9 because we saw Pollard last year be really, really good, but he was still with Ezekiel Elliott in that offense. We haven't seen him yet handle a full workhorse workload. Will he actually get one? It remains to be seen. Will defenses key on him more? Will he be less fresh? Probably yes and probably yes. Guys like Ramondre Stevenson, Travis Etienne, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker behind him have shown that they can handle those workhorse loads. I can understand ranking Tony Pollard as maybe a borderline RB1, but not in the top 10 like this, not in the same tier as guys like Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, and Bijan Robinson where he's listed. I don't buy it, and I think there's guys behind him who have not only a higher floor but a higher ceiling. And then at wide receiver, like I mentioned before, DK Metcalf at the wide receiver 15, it's too high. Don't see the upside there. I don't even know if he's going to be the top wide receiver on his own team, considering that Tyler Lockett severely challenged him for that role last year. Jackson Smith and Jigba could do the same. There are plenty of guys like Debo Samuel and DJ Moore ranked behind him with far more upside than DK, who is likely not to have a top 12 or a top 10 season. It's a very much ceiling pick again, except there's also a lot of risk attached. Don't like the pick. Now let's move to first half stars. We're going to talk about eight guys who were studs in the first half of the year, not so much in the second. First at QB is Kyler Murray. He was hurt in week 14. 
We'll probably come back in the middle of the season next year, but it was the QB six from weeks one through nine dropped to the QB 19 overall. And Murray right now around on fantasy pros is ranked around the QB 20. I think this is fair. Obviously you're going to draft him and get him on. Maybe if you have IR spots in your league, you should probably draft him higher because then you don't have to waste a roster spot on Kyler Murray, but only a little bit higher, of course, because you're still spending high draft capital at the same time though. Once he comes back, he should still put up top 10 QB production, but I think the QBs are very, very deep this year in fantasy. So you, don't necessarily need to prioritize a guy like Kyler Murray because there are plenty of chances for a guy like Geno Smith with high upside later in the draft. But obviously, it's a play for down the road. He might not be back to full strength right away. It's something that's tough to rely on for next year. You shouldn't draft him as a QB1. And then Marcus Mariota, not much to talk about here. He signed as a backup with the Eagles, was the QB11, though, from weeks one through nine, then got benched eventually for Desmond Ritter following the week 14 bye. Not much to talk about there. He shouldn't be drafted, but he was a first-half star and deserves mention. At RB, Derrick Henry was the RB1 from weeks one through nine, dropped to the RB3. It's not like he was bad in the second half of the season. He was just so darn good in the first half that he deserves a mention here. Derrick Henry is going to continue to be elite until we are notified otherwise. We've been predicting his downfall for years. It hasn't happened. Given the chances for flukes in pretty much any running back, Shouldn't be a surprise that Derrick Henry will be ranked very highly once again. I even think RB8 might be undervaluing him just a little. I think there's an argument for him to be more like RB6 ahead of Nick Chubb. Maybe not ahead of Josh Jacobs, given how the new coaching staff has used him. But I could see Henry being moved up a spot or two. That's for sure. And then Joe Mixon. We talked about him already, but he was a first-half star. RB4 through Week 9 with the 51.1-point game. He drops to the RB13 overall. So obviously there are some concerns with the second half of the season, but this has been a thing for years with Joe Mixon. We've seen him go into slumps and we've seen him have elite weeks where he's been the top RB overall and elite stretches. It's going to be a boomer bust guy for you, but overall it always evens out given the workload he gets and the talent he has until I see otherwise I'm easily drafting Joe Mixon at that RB22 spot he's ranked at right now. At wide receiver, Cooper Cup had a high ankle sprain that required surgery in week 10, should be back for next year. He was the wide receiver three from weeks one through nine, dropped to the wide receiver 22 overall after the injury. He should be a top five wide receiver when he's back. It was one thing I was wrong about was saying that Cooper Cup should be the wide receiver one over Justin Jefferson in fantasy drafts. I think Justin Jefferson reached a new level to where you can draft him ahead of Cooper Cup. And of course, coming off the injury and coming off how the Rams offense looked last year in general, I understand taking Jamar Chase ahead of him as well. And maybe even considering a guy like Tyreek Hill, but I think Cooper Cup still firmly belongs in the top five of receivers and he's got enough upside to where he can really be ranked as high as number two in my eyes. It would be fair to rank him ahead of Chase and then Tyler Boyd. This is strange. I didn't remember this because Tyler Boyd was the week, the wide receiver 11 from weeks one through nine dropped to the wide receiver 28 overall. He wasn't hurt. He just dropped off a lot. That's probably just going to be indicative of the consistency, inconsistency we'll see from him next year because he's the wide receiver three in his offense. And the thing is, it's not like Tyler Boyd's going to be bad, but you don't need to prioritize him in your drafts because he doesn't have season-long upside to be anything more than a back-end wide receiver two. And that's because Jamar Chase is there and T. Higgins is there and Joe Mixon is there. There's too many targets to feed. He will have good weeks. He can be a plug-and-play as a flex, but there are a lot of guys like that that you can always pick up off of the waiver wire throughout the season. There's no need to prioritize that. At that point in the draft, you should be prioritizing upside over consistency because that's what wins you your leagues. 
And then at tight end, a couple guys, Zach Ertz was the tight end four through the first half of the year, tight end 19 overall because he tore his ACL in week 10. He did say he hoped to be ready for week one. It's unclear what his status is for training camp as of yet. And of course, Trey McBride is in the picture as well, but McBride wasn't really that involved last year. So when we see Ertz get back, there could be a bit of an adjustment period. So keep an eye on how close before the season he gets back. But when he does, I think he can come back in and be a tight end one, even with Colt McCoy starting the year because of that tight end four production, which was very high. He's an underneath guy who can thrive with most different QBs. He's done it with a lot of different guys in his career. Should be just fine. And then Dallas Goddard. So the tight end six first half of the year finished as the tight end 10. He missed five games from weeks 11 to 15 with a shoulder injury. He should come back and be raring to go. The challenge with Goddard is that he's behind two target hogs in AJ Brown and Devonte Smith. The Eagles also added Alameda Zacchaeus brought in Rashad Penny and uh, this backfield now with Rashad Penny. And why am I blanking on the other person? The Eagles brought in because they brought in somebody very important that I'm blanking on. And I'm trying to think and it, was as I looked this up, DeAndre Swift. How could I forget? They traded for DeAndre Swift. But yes, DeAndre Swift may take some pass catching reps from Dallas Goddard because he's such a good pass catcher out of the backfield. The point is the Eagles have a lot of weapons. I think Goddard will still be in the tight end one range because it's not that hard to be a top 12 tight end in fantasy, but be cautious that he might be a little more inconsistent, just a little bit than he was last year with all of these new targets being added in. The Eagles offense is loaded, by the way. We should conclude the episode with that. It's just absolutely absurd. That Rashad Penny-DeAndre Swift debate will also be a fun one for over the summer, so tune in to hear it. So that wraps up the episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Great stuff as always. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Calvin underscore SGF at SGF pod for the podcast. Second Google Fantasy at gmail.com is where you can send your fantasy questions. Thank you for tuning in. Whether you started at episode one or episode 199 or even are starting today at episode 200, thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and review. Let me know. You can send your fantasy questions. Let me know anything you want to send over, the email, the Twitter, all of that fun stuff coming this summer. I can't wait for fantasy football to get back into swing. Going to be great. Glad to be back and glad to bring you this combined episode today. So thank you all for tuning in once again, and I will see you next time.